Mark 16. I want to say, if you're new, if this is your first time at Calvary Santa Cruz, I want you to know, first and foremost, that Jesus Christ loves you. And He loved you so much, He was willing to die for you. And I want you to feel welcome here and feel loved here. Because that's, the Bible says they shall know us by the love we have one for another. Amen? So let's take a look at Mark 16. But before we do that, let's open with a word of prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. You're such an awesome God. We're so blessed to know you in an intimate and a personal way. I thank you, Lord, that you are a risen, living Savior as we look at your resurrection this morning. And Father, just prepare our hearts also for communion later as we just remember the most awesome act of love in the history of all mankind. Lord, we pray that man would decrease, that your spirit would increase, that you might be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. I want to catch you guys up a little bit. If you haven't been here, or just as a quick reminder, the last few weeks we were looking at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, which was the most awesome love act in the history of all mankind. Realizing that the creator of the universe, the Alpha and the Omega, God himself was manifest in the flesh, He lived a sinless, perfect life, and then he was beaten, he was mocked, he was scourged. Scourged is a torture that we've talked about the last few weeks, I won't go into detail, but basically it leaves you on the brink of death. You're laying in a pool of your own blood, your own organs are exposed. Then after they did that to him, because he was being convicted of being the king of the Jews for for basically telling the truth, they then mocked him by making him a a king and and putting a crown of thorns upon his head. And then we saw last week in detail the crucifixion. And we know that crucifixion is the most torturous death you could possibly go through. The people that did the crucifixions took great joy in making people suffer. Typically it would take so long to die that before it was over, often birds and, and wild beasts would come and start picking away at these men's bodies. They would die of suffocation. It was a slow and a painful death. And that's the death that Jesus Christ did for each one of us. Amen? And you know what? He's Almighty God. He could have called a million angels out of the sky anytime He wanted to. He could have turned everybody into dust. But He didn't do it. He willingly and freely went to the cross on our behalf. But the good news is, we've been looking at Friday. Right? We've been looking at Good Friday for the last couple of weeks. But now we're going to look at Sunday. Amen? It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. And Sunday morning, we're going to see that this is the reason we're here this morning on Sunday morning is because of the text we're going to look at. It's because Jesus Christ rose from the dead early Sunday morning. Amen? And that's why we gather in His name. You know, it's interesting to me that the four Gospels, the word good news, are biographies of the life of Jesus Christ. But you know what? If you read a biography of any other man or any other leader, typically that biography ends when the person dies. Amen? The biography is a story of their life, and when their life ends, the book ends. But you know what? With Jesus Christ, there's a need for another chapter after His death. Amen? Because He doesn't stay dead. And you know what? That's the reason that Mark 16 is in the Bible. Because Jesus Christ continued to live on. All four Gospel accounts, it doesn't end with His death, but instead relates the most victorious event in the history of mankind. You know, Jesus had clearly taught it was necessary that He die for our sins. He had clearly taught that He would prove once and for all that He had triumphed over sin and death by being resurrected on the third day. But ironically, the people did not believe. We're going to look at that as we go through the text. The only people that had any inkling of belief were those who had crucified Him. Because we remember from last week that what did they do? They put a seal and they set guards around the tomb because they were afraid that somebody would come and steal the body. 
The reality was that they were the only ones that actually had heard His words and had done something about it. Men were trying to seal up Jesus. And, they were, and they've been trying to seal up Jesus ever since. You know, we live in a country today where they're trying to seal up the Word of God. You know, the separation of church and state. If I hear that again, I'm going to puke. Amen? You know, the separation of church and state was not to protect the, 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 church, the state from the church, but to protect the church from the state. And we make all these excuses and rules why we can't tell our kids about a loving, a gracious, and a merciful God. We try to keep the Word of God out of schools. People try to keep Jesus in the tomb still today by saying there are many other paths to God. You don't have to go through Jesus Christ. You can get there some other way. Let me tell you that Jesus said He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by Him. Amen? You can't get there any other way. You can't be good enough. You can't strive hard enough. They've even tried to remove Jesus out of Christmas by giving us a big fat guy with a red suit. But it isn't about Santa. Amen? And Rudolph didn't die on the cross. Jesus Christ did. Amen? So it's all about Jesus. We need to remember. And so during this time, as we get to chapter 16, verse 1, what has been happening from the time of the crucifixion until the resurrection? We've seen several things happen. First of all, all the disciples went into hiding. They ran away. They were afraid. They all forsook the Lord and fled. These men who'd walked with Him for years were scared of what men would do to them. We saw Peter betray Jesus and then his eyes met the Lord and he went away and he wept bitterly. We saw the Jews again had put a, a seal over the, around the tomb and set a Roman guard there. I also believe that Satan believed for that 40 hour period, which I believe it was roughly, that he had been victorious. Satan in his arrogance thought that when Jesus Christ was crucified that he had won. And in reality, it was the greatest victory for the kingdom of God ever. Amen? He had thought he'd won his greatest victory and it was his greatest defeat. Satan had a hand in Jesus' crucifixion. Back in chapter, in verse 13, chapter 13, it says that Satan entered Judas. Remember that? And went out and had Jesus betrayed. So here we are during this time period when Jesus is in the grave, during this Sabbath, that Satan thinks that he has won. And you know what? During that time, the talk of every man, as we're going to see in the text this morning, was all about Jesus. We're going to see that that was the topic of conversation. There's a million people in Jerusalem for Passover, and the number one topic of conversation is Jesus Christ, even though He's been crucified. And I'll show you how I know that's true in just a few moments. So again, if anything proves the deity of Jesus Christ, it's His resurrection from the dead. So before we look at the text, I'm going to give you seven things, and I'm going to to quote them again at the very end. What is the significance of the resurrection to us today? What is significant about it? Number one, it proves that Jesus Christ is God's Son. Amen? Any other God that men will choose to serve is a God that wants to take from you. It's a God that you have to work to please. Jesus Christ is the only God. He's the only true and living God. And He's the one that gives to you. Amen? He doesn't take from you. He gives to you. No other man is raised from the dead. Jesus said in John 10 that He had authority to lay down His life and authority to lift it up again. It also proves that Scripture is true. Because both in the Old Testament and in the teaching of Jesus, He said He would raise from the dead and He proved that Scripture was true when He rose on the third day. It also assures our future resurrection because Jesus said that when He died, He would raise again and that we would be raised again with Him. Amen? How many of you know that you're going to heaven? Raise your hand. It's not a hope so, it's a no so. Amen? My next door neighbor, I prayed for him. His name's Dave. I said, bro, he's going through a difficult time. I said, you're going to heaven, aren't you? And he said, well, I sure hope so. You know what? That is not Christianity. Amen? That is denying what Jesus did on the cross. We know that we know that we know that we have assurance of a future resurrection because of Jesus' resurrection early Sunday morning. 
It's also proof of future judgment. In Acts chapter 17, it says, He has appointed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom He has ordained. He has given an assurance that this, for each one of us, by raising Himself from the dead, that one day there will be judgment for all of mankind. It's also the basis for His heavenly priesthood. You know what? We don't have any priests on earth anymore. Amen? We don't need a priest. You know why? Because Jesus Christ is the great high priest seated at the right hand of the Father. That's what the Bible says. We don't have to elect a new pope next year. We don't have to elect a new priest. We don't have to go to a man to intercede on our behalf. Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us daily. And because He's a risen living Savior, He's never going to go away. Amen? All these other men that men serve, they die. Buddha's dead. Hare Krishna's dead. Joseph Smith dead. Mary Baker Eddy dead. They're all dead. But Jesus Christ is a risen living Savior, as we're going to see this morning. It gives us power for Christian living. We cannot live for God by our own strength. It's only through, as, as in His resurrection, the power works in and through us. It says in Romans 6.4, the same power that resurrected Jesus Christ from the dead is the power that lives inside of us today in the power and the person of the Holy Spirit. And finally, it assures us of a future inheritance. Because we have a living hope, we can experience hopeful living. You know what? As Christians, we have nothing to be sad about. We have nothing to fear. We have nothing to worry about. We have nothing to be concerned. Why? Because we know where we're headed and we know who's in control while we're on our way. Amen? So let's pick up in chapter 16, beginning in verse 1. And here's what we're going to look at this morning. In the first eight verses, we're going to see the angel's announcement of Jesus' resurrection. Then we're going to see Jesus appear to Mary Magdalene. Then we're going to see Jesus appear to two disciples along the road to Emmaus. We'll see Jesus appear to the eleven and give the great commission. And finally, we'll see Him ascend to the Father. So let's begin in verse 1. Now, when the Sabbath was passed, and I want to look at that, the word Sabbath there. You know, it's, it's interesting to me that up until that time, the Sabbath was a day of Jewish rest and inactivity, but also a day of rituals, a day when they would observe certain ritualistic things. So this is the Sabbath that Jesus is in the ground, in a sense. He's in the tomb. Jesus is dead at this point. And it's this Sabbath rest that Jesus has entered into. But what's interesting to me, as Jesus, who had been crucified and was the perfect Lamb of God and was the Passover Lamb that they were observing, was in the ground, they were actually, on that Sabbath day, fulfilling rituals that were absolutely abomination in the sight of God. Can you imagine... If Jesus Christ came and you stoned him to death, or you killed him, you murdered him, they crucified him, they put him to death, and then they go and they celebrate all their empty, vain rituals pointing to the very Messiah they had just crucified. That's what happened on that Sabbath. And it says that Sabbath, when the Sabbath had passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices that they might come and anoint him. Now, on the Sabbath, there were so many, you could not buy and sell. And so, Sabbath went from Friday night at sundown till Saturday night at sundown. So, as soon as Sabbath had passed, these women went out and they got spices to go and anoint the body of Jesus Christ. Now, again, it's interesting to me that during that Sabbath time, where are the disciples? They're all hiding and they're in fear. The religious leaders, the Jews, were having their services in the temple. Satan may have been celebrating, but it was going to be short-lived. It's Saturday, but Sunday's coming. Amen? It was that Sabbath day, but the ultimate day was coming. Now, what do we know about Mary Magdalene? We know that she was a woman who had been delivered from demon possession. The Bible says those who have been forgiven much, love much. You know, those who have been delivered from great trials and, and great sin 
are, are have a great heart for the kingdom of God. You look at some of the people that God's used in such a mighty way. You know, that's why it blows me away when I'll counsel somebody and they'll say, man, my, my life has been such a mess, God could not possibly use me. Let me tell you right now that God's not looking for ability but availability. Amen? God's not looking for curriculum. He's not looking for your own personal uh, abilities and gifts. He's looking for someone who says, Lord, I just want you to use me. That's a person God can use. Mary Magdalene had gone from being a vile woman to a woman used mightily by God simply because she sat at His feet and desired to be in His presence. It also says in Luke that there were other women with Him as well, one one of which was by the name of Joanna. Now, what are they going to buy these spices for? I want to make sure you understand that they were not going to embalm the Lord. You know, embalming would be something you did. That's not what they did. As a matter of fact, the Jews did not even... That was culturally against what they would do. What they would do with these oils that were very fragrant is they would go in and they would pour it right on the grave clothes to counteract the the stench that would come from a decaying body. And it was certainly an act of great love to go in and into that, you know, a day and a half of someone in the ground is going to be a lot of stench. And they went in there, it was an act of total love without question and an act of dedication. And I said last week, you'll notice that these women were at the, at the uh, cross. These women were there when, they, when he was uh, put into the tomb. And now these women are the ones that are coming back very early in the morning. But I also want to point something out. They didn't go back thinking they were going to find a risen Savior, did they? You don't take anointing oil for someone who's alive. So while we see that there is, is a love for God there, we also see that they too had missed it. They too had missed the fact that He was going to be a risen and living Savior, not a dead saint, you know, an old dead God. You know, it's, it's scary to me that people want to worship dead saints instead of a risen living Savior. Amen? It's still happening today, isn't it? People are praying to dead people. Don't pray to dead people, okay? You know, saint means sanctified one, one set apart to God. We serve a risen, living Savior. I'm going to say it 50 times today because that's what this message is about. And that's who He is. He's alive. Amen? Our God is alive. I'm glad I don't serve some old dead memory, but a true and a living God. It says in verse 2, Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week. Now that's Sunday morning. The women left the place they were staying. It says they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. Now, I know that doesn't translate into the original language, but boy, I love that. It says they went to the tomb when the sun had risen. And that was true in more ways than one, amen? The S-U-N had risen, but so had the S-O-N, right? I mean, when they went, the sun had risen. And they got up early in the morning. And again, they had not really paid attention to His Word, but again, they were there at the crucifixion. They were there when He was put into the tomb. That's one of the reasons they knew that the t- where Jesus had been buried, because they had been there when He was put in the tomb. Now, I want to say this real quick. Some people have questioned, I've had people ask me this, you know, you, you find out where people's spirit is. I meet this guy in my neighborhood, he finds out I'm a pastor. First thing he says to me is, you know Jesus died on a Wednesday. He died on a Wednesday? No, He didn't. He, Friday. No, 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 man. Three days. You count three days from Sunday. You've got to go back. It's got to be Wednesday because you've got Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Then he, you know, it doesn't say anywhere in the Bible that Jesus was going to be in the ground 72 hours. It doesn't say that anywhere. It says he will raise on the third day. And Friday, he died around 3 o'clock in the afternoon. We know that because it says that right in the, in the text we looked at last week. He may have lived a little beyond that, but around 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Friday was the first day. He was in the ground on Saturday. Sunday would be the third day. Amen? And he rose from dead on the third day. And it's interesting to me that it's approximately 40 hours that he was in the tomb. 
What is 40 always a number of in the Bible? Testing. A trial of God proving, you know, 40 days and 40 nights of rain. 40 days of, you know, right? 40 days of, of, of Him going without food as He was tempted by the enemy. I love the Bible. It's always perfect. So if someone tries to tell you that, just say, no, no. That's why it's Good Friday, not Good Wednesday. Amen? He, wrote, he was crucified on Friday. It says there in verse 3, And they said among themselves, Who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? As they traveled toward the tomb, they realized they didn't have any men with them, and they had left the tomb before the soldiers had been posted there. You know, the, the Jews went back and told you know, Pontius Pilate, hey, we need to get some soldiers out there in case somebody comes. And they had gone away and they thought, you know what, we don't have any men with us, how are we going to roll the stone away? It was a concern for them. Again, they were not looking for a risen Savior. They thought they were going to go, and again, we love their hearts, that they want to minister to the Lord. But, you know what, it's interesting to me that they're saying, how are we going to roll the stone away? But God will never allow any obstacle to stand in the way of those who truly seek Him. Amen? There are a lot of people who think, well, this is going to keep me from God. There's nothing that will keep you from God if you will truly seek Him, except for your own passion, your own will. If you will turn your life over to God, there's no obstacle too great. The Bible says where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Amen? No matter what we've done, God still loves us. He who knows me best loves me most, and that blows me away. He knows every wicked, vile thing I've done, and He still loves me. Paul said he was the chief of sinners. And you know, each one of us, as we examine our own hearts, ought to feel the same way. And look what happens when they get there. And verse 4, but when they looked up, they saw the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. You know, I said this last week, and I want to say it again. The stone was not rolled away to let Jesus out. Amen? Jesus didn't need the stone to be rolled away. He's God. He's created the universe. He can get out without the stone being rolled away. Amen? The stone was rolled away that the witnesses might see in and see that he had risen from the dead. It says in Mark chapter 28, And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven, and came and rolled back the stone from the door and set on it. His countenance was like lightning, and his clothes as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. Well, I guess so. Now, does that show you who's in control? Amen? The angel showed up and all these guards, and, and a lot of times you see in these movies and stuff, you know, you've got two guards there and they're sleeping. You think, oh yeah, well maybe they were napping and someone's... A guard that it's talking about there is about approximately 50 soldiers. 50. But guess what? One angel smokes 50 soldiers all day long, right? And the angel shows up and all the, the guards are doing one of those things. Just, remember what Jesus said when they came to rest at my am he? What did everybody do? They all fell straight down. God is in control. Who arrested whom? They didn't take his body from him. He laid it down freely. And here we see that he rose it up again because he's God and he can do that. You know what? No other God, no other ism, no other entity that the world tries to serve can, can triumph over sin and death but Jesus Christ alone. Amen? You know, people are chanting to the moon God. You know, the moon God, what is that? People are, you know, you know hey, I've got you know, to move my couch in feng shui. I've got the right... You know, aura. I gotta, you know, I gotta, I gotta, you know, I want Christianity, I want Christ, but I don't want the cross. You know, I gotta have the Christ consciousness. What? No, you need Jesus. Amen? It's not Christ consciousness. It's not turning my sofa the other way so the aura and the yin and the yang are working all together. It's not, you know, doing yoga and getting the white serpent to come out of my back. It's none of that. You know, we're in Santa Cruz and people are looking for the answer everywhere, but you know what? There is an answer and it's Jesus Christ. Amen? You know what? No yogi has ever got up out of the ground. Amen? <laughs> nobody, you know, no monk, nobody. Jesus. 
And you know what? We're ashamed and we want to dial it down and we want to pull back and, well, you know, let them have their, you know, live and let live. No, we're not living and let live. We're living and let die and perish and be separated from Almighty God for all eternity is what we're doing if we don't tell people that our God is a loving and a merciful God who died for them. Amen? You know, when I see these people, my heart breaks for them because they're looking but they're looking in the wrong place. God put us in their path for a reason. You know what? God, I believe, is going to bring revival to Santa Cruz County. Amen? And you know what? He can. You know, we look and say, man, you know, that's Santa Cruz, though. You know, this is, whew. You know, that's a pretty dark place. You know what? Greater is He that is in us than He that is in the world. Amen? And you know what? God is going to bring revival because the Word of God is being taught without compromise and God's people are loving people unconditionally. Verse 5. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Now, remember again, how did, the, how did the, the Roman soldiers respond? They fell over as dead men. And now the women come in, and they're alarmed. They're amazed. The word there for alarmed, and I'm not going to go into the Greek, but it says a strong word for great amazement, including a note of dread or great fear. So they were afraid. We know Matthew 28, it says that this, this young man was an angel. And so as they entered in, I believe the same angel that rolled the stone away, they come and they see this angel sitting there in the tomb. Verse 6. But, they said to him, but he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is risen. You need to underline. If you underline anything, those are good words to underline right there. He is risen. Amen? And not he was risen. Some people were risen from the dead, but they died again, right? Lazarus, God called him out of the ground, but they had another funeral for Lazarus, right? I mean, you know, Jeru's daughter, she died again. Now, God did pull Elijah and Enoch straight up into heaven, but the reality is that every man who's ever lived, who, who was risen from the dead on earth, died again. But Jesus Christ not was risen, Jesus Christ is risen. Jesus Christ's resurrection is one of the central truths of the Christian faith and is only plausible explanation for the empty tomb. In those days, the, the uh, Jews tried to say that the, wow, the, his, his people came, his, his disciples came and they stole the body away. You know, they didn't even try to pretend that the tomb wasn't empty. They just had to make an excuse for how the tomb could be empty. Well, so what you're saying is these 11 cowering guys who wouldn't even go to the cross, who were hiding up in the upper room somewhere, shaking in their boots, every one of which had denied the Lord, came down and overpowered 50 Roman soldiers and rolled the stone away and stole this body. And then, by the way, after they did all that, even though they knew it was a lie because they'd stolen his body away, every one of those men was martyred for preaching that Jesus Christ had risen from the dead. Does that sound logical to you? Do you think someone's going to steal a body away and then go, to, go to, to, to their torturous death teaching a lie? Absolutely not. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Amen? And the disciples, unfortunately, did not even believe that it was true. The idea, again, the fearful doubting disciples is preposterous. And just as ludicrous is the fact that they were put to death for preaching what they would say would be a lie. 1 Corinthians 15 says this, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures, that He was seen by the twelve, and after that He was seen by over 500 brethren at once. As we continue on, we're going to see that Jesus Christ is risen, and now we're going to see evidence the fact that He had risen from the dead as He appears to many. And we're not going to see all of them in Mark, but we're going to touch on several. He said here, He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. This also refutes the, the statement that they went to the wrong tomb. He said, Who are you, you're looking for Jesus, right? Well, he's not here. He's not dead. He's alive. 
And they looked over and it says in John 20 that his grave clothes were exactly the way they were. His body had come right through the grave clothes. And they were just laying there. And the Lord had stepped up because he's Almighty God and he had triumphed over sin and death. Verse 7. But go tell his disciples and Peter. Now we've talked about this before. This is truly a picture of God's grace and forgiveness. Because when was the last time we saw Peter prior to this? What was Peter doing? What was he doing? He's denying Jesus. The Bible even says he was cursing. A little girl came up to him and said, You're one of them. I saw you. You were with him. This is the third denial. And it says that he cursed and said, I don't know who he is. He was cussing. And then he looked up and his eyes met the eyes of the battered, beaten face of Jesus Christ. And it says that he went away and he wept bitterly. And I think it's awesome that the next word spoken from heaven was, Go tell my disciples, and in the context there, and especially Peter, that I have risen. Now he doesn't say that because Peter was the first pope, or Peter is the leader of the church. That's not why he said it. The reason he said it was a picture of his grace to let Peter know, I still love you and I forgive you. Amen? Can you imagine when that word came back to Peter? Can you imagine as he was weeping and torn up inside to hear from them? He said to come and tell you, and especially you, Peter, that he's risen. Really? You know, I want you to know that God loves you. You can take a million steps away from God and it truly is only one step back. Amen? No matter how far away you think you've gotten, no matter how bad you think you've been, God loves you enough that He's right there just so willing that you would turn and repent and come back to Him. Go tell His disciples, it says there, and especially Peter, that He's going before you into Galilee. There you will see Him as He said to you. You know, it says in in Mark 14, 28, but after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. But you know what? They didn't listen. He told them, oh, you know, several times, I'm going to raise from the dead, and on the third day, I'm going to be risen from the dead. It's time that I'll be delivered into the hands of the enemy, and on the third day, I'll raise from the dead. I'm going to be delivered into the hands of the Romans, and I'm going to be tortured, and on the third day, I'm going to raise from the dead. And here he says, I'm going to raise from the dead, and I will go before you to Galilee. So if these guys have been paying attention, one of two things, they would have either been at the tomb, or they would have been headed toward Galilee. Amen? One or the other, if they'd been listening to the words of Jesus Christ, but instead, they didn't listen. Now, the women go back and they bring this word to them, but these guys still do not listen. I think also the reason he said he would go to Galilee, it's important to note, what kind of Savior were the Jews looking for? Do you guys remember? What kind of Savior? A conquering Savior who would overrule the Romans, right? And he says, I'm going before you where? Not to, to Rome, not to Jerusalem, but to Galilee. I'm going before you. We're not going to go back and set up an earthly kingdom, but I'm going before you to preach the word, to, to reach out to a lost and a dying world. Look at verse 8. So they went out quickly. This is the women. They went out quickly and fled from the tomb, for they trembled and were amazed, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. So he said, go there and see the disciples, go and tell them, that, go tell Peter especially, tell them that, we've re- that I'm going before him into Galilee, that this is the angel speaking, tell them that the Lord will meet them there, and they went out quickly from the tomb, and they trembled, and they were amazed, and they said nothing. The, rem- the women's reaction was overwhelming with fear and amazement. They were entrusted with an incredible message. The message that would changed all of mankind. And what did they do? They were scared to death. And you know what? Have you ever felt like that before? Because who has that message today? 
Who's been given the message today to tell a lost and dying world that Jesus Christ is a risen living Savior who has triumphed over sin and death, that He's a loving and a gracious and a merciful God, that He cares for us? Who's, who's been given that message? We have. Have you ever felt like these women? That, how many of you have ever felt like the Lord's telling you to talk to somebody about Him? You know what I'm talking about. Holy Spirit's going, talk to Him, right? You know what I'm talking about. And you, oh, well, yeah, but, you know, that, 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 uh, you know I, I, I might not have all the answers, Right? Yeah, but you know, this just happened to me the other day, and I'm going to openly confess to you guys, I chickened out. I'm in McDonald's, and McDonald's is full of people on Mission Street. There's probably 40 people in there. And I'm standing there waiting for my food between sales calls, and the Lord put it on my heart, you might be the only person in here who knows me. I looked around at families, I looked around at people, and my heart just started to break. You know, maybe nobody else in here knows Jesus. And, you know, it was a part of me that felt like, man, I should just go stand on a table and go, you know what? Jesus loves you guys. You know what I mean? You know, that's what Christmas is about. He's a risen, living Savior. And I, you know, I didn't do it. Didn't do it. Weak. You know, and the Holy Spirit head slap like that. You know what I mean? That's how it feels when the Holy Spirit convicts me. But God's a gracious God because I went, when I went out to my car, a, game, a guy came up and asked me if I had any money and I had a chance to share Jesus with that guy for about 20 minutes. So, you know, God's good. You know, he, he let, even though I wimped out, I went outside and God brought someone else, right? Well, here's, okay, Dave, you can't do 40. Here's one, okay? Can you, can, you, can you deal with one, right? But have you ever felt that way? That's how these women felt. They were amazed and overwhelmed with this awesome message and there was trembling there. And can this be true? And they're probably even questioning it. And they're running back to go and talk to them. You know, we may be the only Jesus that some people ever see. And so they go running back. Now let's take a look quickly at the appearances of Jesus to other people. Beginning in verse 9. First we're going to see that He appears to Mary. Now when they had rose early on the first day of the week, He appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom He had cast seven demons. Now Jesus first appears to Mary. In John 20 it states that after she saw the angel in the tomb, she ran back and told the disciples that Jesus had risen. But they did not believe her. We know that Peter and John, it says, ran to the tomb. They looked in, didn't see anything, and they ran back. Mary stays at the tomb. While she's at the tomb, she's there weeping. She looks up and she sees a man who she perceives to be the gardener. That's what it says in John, right? Maybe because of the tears in her eyes or being overwhelmed, or whatever. God may have just... And then he says to her, Mary. He calls her by name. And she says, Rabboni term of endearment, of affection, good teacher. What an awesome moment that was. The first person that Jesus appears to is not the great high priest Caiaphas. Amen? It's not, you know, the most religious person of the day. It's not the most wealthy person of the day. It's not the greatest military leader. It's not the head of the government. It's a woman who had been delivered from seven demons. It's a woman whose life had been a total mess. But it's a woman who was crying out to him. Do you know that God is still calling us by name today? Amen? Just like He said Mary, He's saying the same thing today to each one of us if we will just listen to His voice. I love that. So the first person He paired to is Mary. She went and told those, verse 10, who had been with Him as they mourned and wept. Now who's He talking about? This is the eleven. And it, she went back and told them, you know what, not only is the tomb empty, but I saw Jesus. He's alive. He's risen. He's, a, he's alive. Guys, He's alive. We don't need to weep anymore. We don't have to mourn anymore. He's triumphed over sin and death. He's alive. What an awesome moment. You know what it says there? And when they heard it, that He was alive and had been seen by her, they did not believe. Now this is not 
a bunch of guys sitting on the side of the road. These are the men who had walked with him for three years. These are the men who had seen him raise Lazarus from the dead. These are the men who had seen him perform miracles and also heard him say that on the third day I will be raised from the dead. And yet when Mary comes back with the greatest news of all that he is risen, they don't believe. It could have been overwhelming for Mary. Can you imagine? Jesus repeatedly prophesied that he would raise from the dead, and yet they still did not believe. You know, sometimes I feel myself getting frustrated when I shared my faith with somebody many, many times. You know, I get excited about the truth of God's Word, and they're, yeah, well, whatever. You ever witness anybody that's like that? You know? Hey, man, you know, could you move? I'm watching the football game. You know, you're telling about life and death. No, you don't understand. God is real, and He loves you so much. Yeah, well, okay, yeah, fine, whatever, I'm late, I gotta, you know, right? And they just don't get it. And, this, and Mary must have felt the same way. She's so excited, she's seen the Lord. Where her weeping has turned to joy. And you know what? At the same time, their weeping continued because they would not believe that Jesus had risen. You know what? The same thing is going on in the world today. People will continue to weep and continue to mourn and continue to be separated from God because they do not believe that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. If we know that He has risen, what an awesome thing. Here, let's, He appeared to Mary. Now He's going to appear to two as they walked along the road. Verse 12, After that He appeared another form to two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went out and told it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Now, I'm not going to go into the, all the details of the story, but it's in Luke chapter 24. This is the road to Emmaus story. The road to Emmaus, these guys are walking along and they're going on a seven-mile journey. And on the seven-mile journey, which would be a great walk, it says that Jesus drew near to them and walked with them, restraining their eyes from His identity. He turns and says to them, Why are you guys so sad? Why are you so overwhelmed? What is gripping your heart so heavily? And they, they asked Jesus in response, What, are you a stranger in Jerusalem? Don't you know what has happened? It'd be kind of like, they're saying, you, what, what, you haven't been there? There's a million people in Jerusalem and all they're talking about is Jesus. What, you weren't there? Were you asleep? It'd be like someone coming up to you today and saying, and who's Osama bin Laden, right? I mean, everybody knows, right? Because that is the key top. Well, that's how it was in Jerusalem then. Don't you know what's happened? Don't you know? Jesus was that topic of conversation. They shared their disappointment as they had hoped that He would redeem Israel. It says in Luke 24, 27, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, He expounded to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. So Jesus taught about Jesus. Amen? And He taught them from the, all of the Old Testament about Himself. He, now, they didn't have the New Testament yet, right? This is it right here. It was being written right before their eyes. But he got up and he taught them from the Old Testament everything concerning himself. And it says in Luke 24, 32, And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked to us on the road and while he opened the Scripture to us? Isn't that awesome? They were hearing the Word of God and they just couldn't get enough. It says at the end that he wanted to part from them and they were holding on to him. No, 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 you must teach us more. It reminds me of a time I was in Russia and I went to this military man's house and they, I ended up being there almost nine hours teaching the Bible to him and his family and some of his friends because they would not let me leave. They were so hungry for the Bible. It was a place where there were no Christian churches in town. We'd gone there to set up a Calvary Chapel and while I was there, no, no, you cannot, you must teach us more. No, no, teach us another chapter. No, you must teach us more. They, did, they just couldn't get enough. And that's what happened to these disciples when they heard the Word of God. And you know what? Nothing excites me more as a pastor when I, hear, when I see people who can't get enough of the Bible. That's exciting to me. When people are like, oh yeah, man, you know, you know, I've had people come to me, man, we didn't have Wednesdays for a while. Man, it was killing me. 
You know, I can't, man, I, I need to be in the Word more than once a week. This isn't enough. Now, you can be in the Word at home, but it's exciting to me when people are hungry for the Bible. And more importantly, it's exciting to God. By the power of the Holy Spirit, He's still opening the Scriptures for us today. Again, more testimony. This time, these guys come back and say, we saw Him, we talked with Him, He explained all these things to us out of Scripture, still didn't believe. It's amazing. Verse 14. Later, He appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table and rebuked their unbelief and the hardness of their heart because they did not believe those who had, been, who had seen Him after He had risen. He goes back to His disciples, and the word there for rebuke is actually the harshest word you see Jesus speak to the disciples as a group anywhere in the Bible. He comes back and says, Why weren't you guys paying attention? Why didn't you guys listen? You know what? I, my heart breaks to think, that I know that there are areas in my life where God wants to do something and I'm not listening. God wants to do such an awesome work in each one of us. Amen? And we, you know, we get so busy with the cares of the world and, or, or, or so concerned with, well, how does this impact me that we miss out on God's perfect plan? He goes back to the 11 and he rebukes them. They'd seen him raise people from the dead. You know, the Bible says in John 20, 29, Thomas, because you have seen me and have believed, blessed are, blessed are you because you've seen me and believed, but blessed are those who have not seen me and yet believe. Who's that? Who are those who are blessed who have not seen him and yet believe? Who is that? It's us, amen? Blessed are you. Oh, how happy are you because you have not seen him and yet believe. But I'll tell you what. I've seen Him. I may have not seen Him with my eyes, but I've seen the way He's impacted the lives of people. And I've seen what He's done in my own life. And Jesus Christ is my best friend. He's my best friend. I'm with Him 24-7. He never leaves me nor forsakes me. He walks with me. I've got, I'm on a 24-hour speakerphone with God. Amen? And never have to hang up. He's the great high priest. He's interceding on my behalf daily. He loves me enough to convict me and to comfort me. That's our God. He's a risen, living Savior. Not a dead block of wood. Verse 15. They said to him, then he said to them, now he's going to give them, he's appeared to them, now he's going to exhort them. And this is an exhortation for each one of us. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature who's willing to listen. Is that what it says? It doesn't say that. He says, preach the gospel to every creature. Some people don't want to hear it. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And praise the Lord, some of you are in this room today that maybe you got saved later in life. And aren't you glad that people didn't just give up on you? Aren't you glad people just go, oh, well, forget it. He's made up his mind, let him go. He's going to burn. Oh, well. You know, I mean, you know, and, we, and there are Christians that get that mentality. Our hearts should be broken for those who don't know God. And he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Now, what is the gospel? The gospel is not the gospel of Calvary Chapel. The gospel is not the gospel of, of my denomination or my church or my way or my path. The gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ is God. The gospel is that all of sin that comes short of the glory of God, that sin has separated us from Him, but Jesus Christ, being God, loving us enough, came and suffered and died and bridged the gap between sinful man and holy God. Amen? And the Bible says in Romans 10.9, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved to the glory of the Father. Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. Amen? You don't have to do 57 other things. There aren't 12 steps. One step, Jesus. Amen? I need a one-step program, right? I need Jesus Christ. And so he says, go into all the world and let them know. Preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Verse 16, we're almost done. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Now, I want, you, I want, to, I want to read the rest of verse 17, and I want to share something with you. 
And these signs will follow those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. Now, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. I want to make this really clear. That when you look in the context of the, all of the Word of God, and even in the context of this Scripture, you do not need to be baptized to be saved. Because look at the rest of the verse. It says that he who does not believe will be condemned. It doesn't say he who does not get baptized will be condemned. It says he who does not believe will be condemned. But I want you to know that in the first century church, conversion and baptism were almost synonymous. Remember the story of Philip and the Ethiopian, Ethiopian eunuch, right? Philip, you know, God brings him up alongside the chariot. He shares with him. He goes, yeah, I'm reading the Bible. I just don't understand. And Philip says, let me tell you about it. The guy listens and goes, what keeps me from being baptized? Right? And they got out of the chariot, and he went down right there, bam, got baptized. Baptism is an outward statement of an inward change. It is not necessary for salvation, but it's a proclamation to the world. I want to be identified with Jesus. Amen? So it's an act of obedience. I want to encourage you, if you haven't been baptized, you should be. But you don't need to be baptized to be saved, because if you did, it would say that the, Christ was not, the cross was not sufficient. What did Jesus say on the cross? It is what? Finished. It's finished. Nothing else. But baptism is still a good thing to do. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. If they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Now, talk about abuse of Scripture. Have you ever seen people that have these things and they've got a bunch of serpents and they're dancing and they're drinking poison? You ever seen that? That's why we teach the whole counsel of God and we don't teach two verses that go, oh, there it is, all right, all right, let's have a serpent party Wednesday night. We're going to bring a bunch of snakes and we're all going to dance and drink poison. Come on down. Weak. <laughs> now, what is that? The Bible also says, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Amen? Those who God had called, he did give them the ability to do signs to prove that the word that they were teaching was true. Had, did, the, did the apostles cast out demons? Absolutely. They had already done it. And does it not prove that they are greater than Satan? Amen? If you're greater than Satan, demons, you're done. Now, again, I don't believe that... I think demon possession is overemphasized today. But I absolutely saw this happen in Southern California. We had a lady come into our church. I was one of the elders in Lancaster. This lady came into our church, and it was, whoa. You know, a voice that no woman could ever speak. And we went in with three, three guys during the service, and we prayed for her, and it came out of her. Because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Amen? But you know what? We have the complete revelation of the Word of God today. We've got all of the Bible. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. We don't need, as you know, God can still use signs and wonders, but he doesn't have to. We know here it also says that they will cast out demons, they will speak in new tongues. Now, that would happen pretty quick. Day of Pentecost, what happened? When he gave them the Holy Spirit, what did they do? They spoke in other tongues, right? But why did they speak in other tongues? I'm just going to take a minute on this. Why did they speak in other tongues? To prove that they were really spiritual. Right? That's what tongues has meant come to mean to some people. Well, I, I speak in tongues. Speaking in tongues. The Bible says that tongues is the least of the gifts. Tongues is used not to glorify man or elevate man, but to glorify God. Amen? When they spoke in tongues at Pentecost, what did all the people around them hear? All the people who had gathered from all different lands, what did they hear? They heard the gospel in their own language. Amen? So God gave each one of them tongues, and as they spoke in tongues, somebody was there from Greece or something, you know, and somebody was there from, uh, you know, other places of country, other countries, and they were sitting there, and they're hearing the gospel coming out in their own language. 
So that was an awesome sign. It proved that the words that they were saying were true. Amen? But it wasn't something where, you know, you come up and you say watermelon 50 times fast and try to speak in tongues, right? I mean, come on. Okay, start speaking in tongues. You know, ring a bell. That's not scriptural. You show me that in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. Amen? And you know, I don't care what experience you've had. What does the Bible say? Right? Read the book. Don't wait for the movie. This is the authority, right? Not my experience. Experiences will lie to me. But the Bible never will. Amen? That's why there's balance. That's why we teach the whole counsel of God. It says they will take up serpents. The only thing that happened close to this, anywhere in the New Testament, how many remember the story of Paul when he got shipwrecked on the island of Malta? And he went in, and it says he was reaching down to grab firewood to put in the fire, and a viper came out and bit, his, bit him on the hand. And he pulled it up, and all the people there said, oh, he's a dead man. That's it. Those are poisonous snakes. He's done. And all of a sudden he looked after a while, and he wasn't done. Why? Because we're indestructible until God's through with us. Amen? But that was not him. He didn't go out and grab 50 snakes and put them all around him and start dancing. That's not what he did. Because the Bible says again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Remember what happened when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. What did Satan say to him? You know, cast yourself off this high peak so God, God can save you. The Lord said, Oh, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Amen? You know, we are invincible and we're indestructible until God is through with us, but that doesn't mean we go play on the freeway with 80 mile an hour traffic. Amen? Maybe that'll be the day God's through with us, right? You know? I mean, we don't tempt God. God can do miracles, but we don't need to, have, to test God's love for us and have Him do these, you know, wacky things. It says he will, they will drink poison. It will not hurt them. We see no examples of that in the New Testament. doesn't mean it didn't happen. certainly could have. You can't kill somebody unless God says it's okay. And they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Do we see that happen throughout the New Testament? Absolutely. Last couple verses. So then after the Lord had spoken to them, He was received up into heaven and set down at the right hand of God. You ever wonder what Jesus is doing? Ever wonder? That's what He's doing. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. Satan's coming and going, there, look, Pastor Dave, one of your guys, yeah, Pastor Dave, look what he's doing. The Lord says, oh, I paid for that. Amen? Isn't that good? Thank you, Jesus. You know, I paid, oh, there, there's your pen, I paid for that, paid for that, paid in full. I don't see it. What sin are you talking about? Aren't you glad? When we pray, he's interceding on the, on the right hand of the Father daily on our behalf. He's praying for Santa Cruz. He's interceding for Santa Cruz as we pray. Isn't that good? That's what our God is doing. Thank you, Jesus. That's our God. When we go to Him, He's there. He cares. He loves us. I love it. Verse 20. Worship team, why don't you guys come on up. And they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through and the accompanying signs. So we see Jesus ascending up into heaven. And then He tells them in verse 20, basically He sums up the entire book of Acts in verse 20. Here's what it says. They went out and did what? Preached everywhere. What do you see in the book of Acts? Preaching everywhere. Everywhere they went. All of it's a divine appointment. No matter where you are, God has you there for a reason. Amen? I've been in some of the most out-of-the-way places, and God brings somebody for me to share my faith with. I think it's a total accident or a disaster. God says no. Everything happens according to God's perfect will. It says there that the Lord was working with them. If we build a house, unless the Lord builds it, we labor in vain. Amen? If we try to, we can do all kinds of programs, we can do everything in the world to try to reach Santa Cruz County for the kingdom of God, but if we're doing it in our ability or our programs or our agenda, it's going to come to nothing. But the Lord is working with us, amen? It's not us, it's Him. 
And we're just being available that, we might, that He might be glorified. And confirming the truth through His signs. So what's the significance of the resurrection? It proves that Jesus is the Son of God. It verifies the truth of Scripture. It assures our future resurrection. It's proof of future judgment. It's the basis for Christ's heavenly priesthood. It gives power for Christian living, and it assures our future inheritance. So with all that being said, what we're going to do now, and we're going to do this on the first Sunday of every month, is we're going to take communion. And I want to say a couple things, and we're going to start having the worship team play. Communion is not, does not save us. These are crackers. It does not become Jesus' body in your hand. Amen? It's, it's representation of His body. Right? The bread or the, is, is a representation of His body which was broken for us. It's a picture of the suffering that Christ endured for each one of us. Very appropriate as you look at His resurrection. Jesus said when He gave it to His disciples, He said, I will not do this with you again until I do it with you again in paradise, in heaven. So in heaven we will take communion. And he says that, so that's one thing we do on earth we're going to do in heaven. And he's saying, do this as often as you do it in remembrance of me. May we never let the cross go common. May we never let the fact that he rose from the dead become a a common thing. Then the juice is a representation of his blood, which was shed for us. And it's through his blood that we have the redemption of sin. Now, you might be visiting here and think, well, I'm not a member. First of all, we don't have members at Calvary Chapel. If you come, you're a member. That's how it works. Amen? The kingdom of God, you don't have to sign up for a list or, you know, go through a class. If you're here, you're part of the church. Amen? And so you might be visiting. It doesn't matter. If you are a born-again Christian who's accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're a part of the family of God, and this communion is for you. Amen? But at the same time, it says don't take it lightly. We need to examine our own hearts. So here's what we're going to do. The worship team is going to play a song. I just want you to just take just a moment and just search your own heart. Say, Lord, just... Touch my heart. Show me the things that need to change in my life. Show me any sin that needs to be repented of. And then come on up and grab in your, and go back to your seat. You can sit with family if you want. You can pray with somebody, your, your husband, your wife, your friends, whatever you want to do. And then just take the communion yourself after you've spent some time with the Lord. But let's, let's go ahead and pray. And then we're going to take a few moments of worship. Let's just prepare our hearts to take communion. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that we serve the creator of the universe. And Lord, that the creator of the universe loved us enough to die for us. What an incredible blessing. Lord, I just thank you for your love. And I pray that everybody here would know that you're a loving God. Not a God up in heaven with lightning bolts in his hand waiting to strike us down, but a loving and a merciful God who cares for us. And Father, I pray that our hearts would be prepared to take communion this morning. Lord, just in remembrance of your love for us and the work you did for us on the cross. So Lord, we just thank you. We praise you. We do this in remembrance of you. It's for you and your glory alone that we gather together. In Jesus' name, we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.